Go to overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash online therapy to get 20% off your first month of cognitive behavioral therapy with weekly sessions online with a therapist in addition to worksheets, a journal, meditation and yoga videos and unlimited messaging. There's strong evidence that CBT can help people who hoard and accessing therapy online can be affordable and accessible. Find out more and get your discount at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash online therapy. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Overcome Compulsive Hoarding with That Hoarder podcast. I am drowning in stuff and trying to find a way out. Listen as I explore the issues and delve deep as somebody profoundly affected by hoarding disorder. Find out more, including links to subscribe to the podcast and all my social media at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk. Finally, I am not a doctor. I'm just a hoarder doing her best. So do seek professional support if and when you need it. So I am here with Dr. Jan Eppingstall, an Australian counsellor with a PhD in hoarding. Jan, how are you? Awesome. I like your positivity. Short and simple, awesome. (laughs) So today we are going to talk about self-sabotage, which I think a lot of people will recognise themselves in. There is a difference between simply not making progress and self-sabotage. Not making progress is frustrating and it gets in the way of de-hoarding. But self-sabotage is more about getting in our own way, I think, hindering our own progress, sometimes even deliberately. I think we've all known people who were desperate for a relationship and then as soon as things get serious with someone, they cheat on them or they're desperate to pass an exam and then don't do any work for it at all. So how might self-sabotage present itself in hoarding? What does it look like? Yeah, look, I think self-sabotage is kind of this buzzword that keeps, you know, it's thrown around a lot. And I guess a lot of people use it in different ways. They don't really use it in necessarily the right way. But simply put, it's when you undermine your own goals and values. It's pretty straightforward. So if we're looking at that from a hoarding perspective, you know, you genuinely want to discard large amounts of stuff. And you've decided that you need to discard 75% to significantly improve your health and well-being. 
and you've worked with me and we've talked about values and from these values you've created like a decisional kind of shortcut to help you take steps in your values direction. But then you do things in direct conflict with the goal, such as continuing to rescue items that need to be fixed, using shopping as a way to lift your mood. That's a really common one. It sticks around quite often. And when you decide, you know, you don't need something, you get kind of tied up in the minutiae of how to dispose of it. And um, and that really limits your process and your progress. And one I see reasonably often is constantly making ex- exceptions to those value-based parameters uh, that you've decided upon, like, oh, I know I committed to one box of children's artwork, but the broken grade one diorama, it's so cute. You know, I mean, that's <laughs> a virtual quote from someone. It's like, mm, okay, it's broken and it doesn't fit in the box. So, you know, and it's and it's getting stuck in that, uh, in that place. And something like knowing that if you take little tiny steps forward each day, that that's important in creating habits and big changes, but you decide, oh, I'll skip today and I'll do twice as many of whatever tomorrow. Or you skip every day this week and promise to spend all day Saturday dealing with it. And then, you know, of course, something else comes up. But, you know, the types of self-sabotage are things we've talked about before, like procrastination. I mean, we talked at length about that. But also things like chronic worrying, kind of getting stuck in your head and rather than doing the things that we should be doing, um, we think we need to plan it out perfectly in our minds. And I think that was something you spoke about before. Yeah. And realising that even your most thorough plans need to kind of be tweaked during the process Um, but it could also be something like substance abuse like self-medicating to deal with the overwhelm of the horde but being able to you know but being unable to actually deal with the horde because you're hungover in the morning you know that sort of stuff or staying up late at night thinking oh you know it'll be okay I'll be able to you know work hard on the horde in the morning and then you're just exhausted and you sleep all day and you mentioned relationships, you know, fighting with those love who love you um, and rejecting their help or rejecting the relationship because you don't want to appear vulnerable. So you put up a wall, that sort of stuff. Um, I think those are kind of the ways that it comes out in hoarding. I mean, there's many, many, many ways, but those are some of the ones that I, you know, off the top of my head and, and with clients come up quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. So is self-sabotage a conscious process or is it an unconscious one or can it be either? And Yeah, it can be either, conscious or unconscious. I mean, lots of people don't think very deeply about their behaviour. They don't make connections and draw conclusions about why they do what they do. They just sense that something there's some kind of blocking force that undermines their progress. They haven't looked deeply into it to see what that is. And other people are kind of like contortionists and they twist things in their mind to fit their behavior and kind of make the self-sabotage seem like it was all a cunning plan and, you know, to sneak up on the goal and grab it when it least expects kind of stuff, you know, oh, I'm, I'm being very tricky, <laughs> going in the complete opposite direction to my goals, that sort of stuff. Um, but I think most people who are seeking to kind of achieve a particular goal recognize self-sabotage as they're doing it or immediately after 
they've yeah. done it, but not before. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you've got the chocolate biscuit in your mouth <laughs> and you're like, well, I'm, I'm going to eat it now, aren't I? But, you know, we, many of us also recognise we're about to do something that's in direct conflict, but near and present distress kind of overrides our goal-directed behaviour. You know, like I said I wanted to cut back on caffeine, but I cannot face this day without it. Um, and being feeling like you you have to make an exception because of these overwhelming kind of emotions or feelings or whatever it might be. But, you know, for people who hoard, the, one of the things I think it's um, hard to cope with is the double whammy of kind of anxiety sensitivity, which is experiencing anxiety more acutely and also distress intolerance which I think you've talked about in a a pod previously, you know, that feeling unable to tolerate difficult internal experiences. And self-sabotage is avoidance, isn't it? (laughs) You know, the level of anxiety is so high, it feels overwhelming and avoidance kind of seems like your only solution. Um, So in that case, I guess it's conscious, right? You're attempting to act in a value-driven way, but then the visceral anxiety kind of pops up and pushes you back, you know. I think that's kind of really, that's one of the hard things um, for people um, who hoard, I think. It's interesting from what you're saying. It's like we might say, well, sure, my overall goal is to do this, but this individual situation is so exceptional that not in this case. Like an alcoholic going, well, I definitely... I'm not going to drink generally, but I have never been this stressed before. So I will have one drink today because, and it's like we give ourselves a reason that is that we convince ourselves that whatever feels awful now is so exceptional that it justifies breaking our rules when in fact every situation becomes that, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it's just that whole, yeah, it's being in the moment and not being able to look at the, you know, look at the um, meta. We're only looking at the micro all the time. Yeah. And that is overall quite a big um, problem for hoarding is in the bigger picture, you know, looking at the bigger picture, it's very hard for people who hoard to flick between the micro yeah. and macro of things, they, they can't shift their attention as easily. So I notice often I'll be working with someone and we'll be doing some sort of sorting. And before we've started, there's a very definite, clear direction. I want to reduce the volume. But then when we get into the minutiae that it, it's every pair of stockings is you know, needs to be put in a labelled bag and I need to know, you know, whereas if I would, as I'm standing there from the from the macro perspective, I'm going, you could get rid of all of those and the world would still move, move you know, would still be turning on its axis, but their thoughts are very focused on that individual item and hard to switch. Yeah, I can relate to that a lot, the difficulty switching, but also a difficulty connecting a series of small things into a big thing. Ah, yeah. So I can see the, because yes, I look at the whole and say this needs to be shrunk. 
and then each individual item is an exception. But I also struggle to see how 20 individual items will make a difference to the whole, that kind of thing. Mm, yeah, yeah. Imagining the impact of that. Mm. Yeah, estimating, well, how much and then thinking about, well, if I do that again and again, how much will that, what will that look like? Yeah. Uh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So self-sabotage, I see it as kind of paradoxical, right? We want to make progress, yet we sabotage that progress. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I want this change. I'm ready. But I still couldn't leave the legless table that I found today in hard rubbish. By the way, curb crawling does mean the same thing in Australia. <laughs> so now I'm trying to call it trash trawling or hard rubbish roving. I'm not quite sure what to go with. <laughs> I Googled it today and I've gone, oh, no. <laughs> Shock, horror. Yeah, so it seems bizarre, right? So why do we do it? That's the question, isn't it's it? It's the big why? question. So. Yeah, what what do you know about why why we do it? Well, uh, often I think it's that short-term anxiety reliever, feel good now at the expense of the future. And I think I've talked about this before in one of my newsletters. Research suggests we actually think of future Jan as a different person, like a physically different person. So in the moment, we make short-term decisions based on seeking out pleasure and avoiding pain. So that's might sound a bit similar because I think we've talked about on <laughs> talked about that on nearly every podcast <laughs> because that really is the crux of it, isn't it? But I've actually recently been reading uh, Lindsay Gibson's book called "Who You Were Meant to Be," um, and she gives kind of a very interesting take on self sabotage and puts the blame squarely on the shoulders of the ego which has been called many things, the inner voice or critic, the protector, the devil. I like to call it the protector because I think it doesn't mean to limit us. I think its intentions are good, you know. But basically our protector wants to keep us safe and doing and, you know, has been doing this job for, you know, for a very long time and when we were from a very young age. So when our survival depended on adults and authority figures. It wants us to behave in ways that were acceptable to the grown-ups in our lives to keep us safe. So change is danger. And the protector kind of pipes up when our meerkat lookout senses a change in the atmosphere, <laughs> puts its little paws up. Listeners, you are <laughs> missing the visuals here, which are worth seeing. <laughs> Jan does a very good meerkat, turns out. Oh, I, I learned from the best. My son in grade one was Mr. Meerkat. He loved it. It's his favourite animal. But, yes, the meerkat sits up and senses a change in the atmosphere. Um, something's different. It's like we're behaving in new ways and, and that's not okay with the protector. It likes the status quo. So the protector kind of has a twisted paradoxical logic and it gives us little whispers of advice for success in inverted commas. And it uses our own voice. So that seems reasonable in the moment. But most of these pieces of advice are not reasonable. Yeah. Um, certainly if we actually do want to make a change. If we want excuses, they're perfect. But if we actually want to make a change, we have to kind of face up to them. 
Um, so it kind of, this protector, it kind of wants to make you worry incessantly about what you did and didn't do uh, without offering any solutions. It's just that <laughs> constant rumination, you know, and it's so twisted that it makes you think the more trouble you expect, the more secure you'll be. Like, if I look for all the ways things could go wrong, I'll be safer. I'm prepared. Yeah. I'm, I'm prepared. I know. Um, and it also predicts your worst fears will come true. So why bother? That's a big one for a lot of people and for me. You know, oh, God, well, all these things will, all of these things will happen. Oh, may as well give up now. Yeah. And it wants, this is a big one too uh, for the hoarding population. It wants you to wear yourself out by doing every minute part of the project perfectly. Because if you do that, then you're soon going to get over it and drop the project. It loves to exaggerate every negative reaction you have about the project and make it seem so complicated that you put it off. Oh, I'm feeling, oh, no, oh, this is going to take forever. You know, <laughs> immediately you put, you put off from doing it. Yeah. And one of the ones that really struck me um, with regard to hoarding is that the protector tells you that if a goal is hard and brings up anxiety, then you should stop. Mm. That's an indicator. That's a message to say this is a bad thing. It can sometimes be surprisingly subtle when it gives you the gives you the idea to kind of push yourself a little further for a little bit longer than you really want to in the moment. And that will kill your enthusiasm very quickly when you've pushed yourself that bit too far too many times. Yeah. Um, and then it happily aids aids and abets your blame. You know, you can blame that on your willpower or, your, you know, lack of desire to change. Oh, see, you pushed yourself and you got that little bit further and now you're giving up. Well, that's just obvious that you've got no willpower. And it can also encourage you to punish yourself. I mean, every time you make a tiny mistake, it comes down really hard. You didn't just make a mistake. You're inferior, obviously. I mean, that's the obvious solution or obvious answer to the to the, the situation. Um, and it does like to make, you know, to keep you feeling guilty, even if it's just a little bit, because then it kind of makes you feel morally superior. Oh, I feel guilty about something I've done. I think that's, you know, that, that kind of makes me feel a bit like a martyr. But mostly, you know, we self-sabotage because we don't recognise that this advice is not in our best interests. Okay. We don't recognise that the protector's doing all this stuff um, we can't step back enough from it to kind of look at it and go, ah, it wants me to stay exactly where I am. Uh-huh. And it's trying to push that kind of barrow. It wants you to keep staying where you are because, hey, it knows how to deal with you in that space. It doesn't know how to deal with you if you change. And I think if we don't passively accept those old messages that our protector tells us and we can't we we are able to expose the faulty logic and those paradoxes and then move towards our goals slowly slowly it loses its power over us i find it really interesting how much on top of what you said a kind of a fear of success can really 
be a big part. I think if you looking at it, I think in any kind of self-sabotage in any area of your life, but say you've said to yourself for years, like when my house is tidy, I can start a new relationship and I can start having friends over and I can all these things. And if something in you is resisting those things, then I think you can self-sabotage with the hoarding progress because mm. if you're still hoarding, then you don't need to address whether you're in a relationship or not, or whether um, you're having friends whether you're over. Worthy. Or, yeah. Whether you're worthy of having a relationship, right? Completely. You don't have, that's not a question because it's not possible. Yeah. And definitely the, the fear of fear of failure and fear of success are really kind of one and the same. Fear of success is one of the hugest things that pulls us back all the time and says, hang on a minute. Don't get too big for your britches. You, you know, you're not that good. You're not that great. Um, there's someone out there who's better than you. <laughs> there's someone out there who knows more than you. All of these things that, um, yeah, the voice comes from some, probably somebody in our past who has said those things. And we just hardwire it and start. You know, we that that's sort of the the start of things, isn't it? Especially for women, I think. I think it's hard hard for women in that way. Um, but also, men go the opposite way, and they're you know grandiose, and I think they can do change the world and be amazing, and you know, so it's just the flip of that, the flip flip side of that. If I get the job I've always dreamed of, that I will have all this amazing stuff to do and oh my god am I good enough for the job I better screw up the interview because what if they give me the job and it yeah it flips from I really want this to the prospects of getting it are so scary that Mm. I can't let myself risk getting there yeah yeah and the protector kind of goes oh it's okay let me step back and I'll deal with all the grown-up stuff. You're just a little, you're just little. I can deal with this. And the way I'll deal with this is self-sabotage. I'll keep you up all night thinking about the job and how you're going to perform in the interview. And then when you wake up in the morning, you've got bloodshot eyes and, you know, <laughs> you can hardly, <laughs> a croaky voice, you can hardly speak. Well, I'm probably not going to get the job now, am I? And it doesn't help that, like, anxiety exists essentially to warn us of danger (laughs) and so its whole role is to make us back away from something and say well that's (laughs) not something I should do and the fact that we yeah we live in such a different society to the to the ones to where we lived when our when our nervous systems evolved that um but it hasn't updated yet. And so when we get anxiety, people say anxiety quite casually, but if you get a deep feeling of dread, that's mm. not a casual thing. And everything in our body and brain goes, well, that's clearly something I should not do. Exactly. And that is so true. It's just that we do need an update. You know, we're an old yeah. version. Yes. <laughs> we needed to be updated. We need need to download a new version because we're just so back there where, you know, that our nervous system lights up and goes, hang on, hang on. The meerkat, the meerkat is a part of the brain. But, yeah, I like the meerkat. He's the one who pops up 
before you even con- are consciously aware. It's just that feeling that, you know, it might be hairs on the back of your neck or just that sensation that something's really off. And we can't squash that. But we also have to, yeah, try and be realistic about what really is a threat and what is just something that we perceive as a threat to our ego, I guess, to our inner kind of critic or um, or protector. That's definitely something that CBT helped me with, kind of a- addressing I would have an automatic, I can't do that because, and mm. just questioning those automatic um, exactly. Yeah. And some of us need to learn how to recognize the actual thought because sometimes people don't even yeah. uh, think that or don't even recognize that initial thought. So they therefore then can't question the thought and debate with the thought. So that's really recognizing and acknowledging that that, that thought popped up. Totally. Uh, for some people, that's hard. Yeah, pre-CBT, if you'd asked me what my thought was, it would have just been the word nope. That would be it, just like <laughs> nope. nope. Um, yep. And again, through <laughs> CBT, it's like going, okay, which nope is that? Is it an yeah, overwhelmed exactly. nope? Is it a practicality nope? Is it an energy nope? Is it, you know, um, but yeah, prior to asking myself those questions, kind of being taught to ask myself those questions, I wouldn't have been able to tell you which nope it was. I would have just said, nope, that's it. Nope, that's it. It's that, that's my answer. Yeah, final answer. Mm, that's interesting. What are the consequences of self-sabotage? I mean, an obvious one is that you don't make progress on your home, but it's also it's pretty demoralizing as well. Yeah, well, I think it's ammunition for that part of us that wants to keep us stuck. Um, It's going to see, I told you you can't do this. It's too much for you. It's all evidence, Uh, isn't it? Stop now while you still can. Good job for trying. You know, good job for trying, but nope. Um, so it is that, it, and and it and it's demoralising. It can also, you know, lead to that depressive kind of uh, anxious state where you're just kind of pedaling to survive. You know, you're not really moving anywhere, and that just leads on to more, you know, deeper kind of feelings of worthlessness and oh, I'm no good for this. I can't, can't even do this tiny little thing. So, yeah, I think that's the consequences of not picking up on on these things that are going on in our mind, these kind of, kind of, it's like kind of backstage almost. It's like kind of backstage and they're fighting and you're not quite sure what's going on. But if you kind of try and tune in, you might be able to, to find out what's going on um, and identify that these reasonable, what, what appears reasonable uh, is in fact not reasonable. Because it is, I speak from vast experience, immensely frustrating to spend 95% of your time going, this needs to be done, I can't do it. This needs to be done, I can't do it. It's a constant low-level stress, isn't it? Mm, That you just can't quite shake off. So, yeah, it it is hard work. It is hard work. Yeah, exactly. It's hard work not making progress. Yeah. (laughs) And so you talked a bit there about 
sometimes we're aware of what's getting in our own way and sometimes we're we don't know we just know we can't do it how do we recognize signs of our own self-sabotaging behavior yeah um i think we've talked again about this before but one of the most effective things we can do is reflect we don't do things for no reason so what is the need if we recognize that we're doing this behavior what's the need that that self-sabotage fulfills yeah um because berating ourselves doesn't work or punishing or depriving ourselves doesn't work what we need is to come from a place of self-compassion to understand what purpose that self-sabotage serves and the most obvious ways to recognize self-sabotage is to have a clear picture of what you deeply value and a detailed idea of how you want to live And what are the goals that emerge from those values? And if you have those values and goals written down clearly and unambiguously, you can then reflect on your behaviours and see, is it self-sabotage or not? Um, And see them for what they are because that's where you're going. Yeah. And uh, you can check, "Am, am I heading in that direction of what I want? Chances are, if if you're sabotaging, it will be, you know, completely in the other direction. Uh, you might say, I want to live with 75% less stuff. And right now I'm holding a pair of shoes I've never worn because they pinch. The answer is simple. Let the shoes go. Yeah. But there's all this other stuff going on and separating that out and going, no, this is the direction. And if I want to achieve this goal, I need to start making these decisions. They're hard decisions, but I need to do it um, in order to achieve that goal. I can stay stuck. That's a choice as well. But this is what I said and I wrote down. This is clearly what I want um, for all these reasons. I think that then you, when you reflect and compare, this is what I what I want. This is what I'm doing. You can clearly see um, the the, the behavior, self sabotaging behaviors for sure. Yeah, there's um, in a book I read recently. There was a quote, something along the lines of, "If you believe you can, or if you believe you can't, you're probably right." Yeah, which I thought. I quite like um, and the whole which wolf are you feeding that whole mm. story as well. I think also I'm thinking as you're talking in terms of what we can do about this, given that a lot of people who hoard have quite all or nothing thinking, I'm feeling like it's important to say you don't have to cure self-sabotage overnight You can look at one bit of self-sabotage you're doing and just address that for the time being. It doesn't have to be that you are a self-sabotager or you're not, does it? Exactly. It is not an all or not. And and that is very true, that black and white, I must do it perfectly or else it's not worth doing at all, applies in this instance as well. It might be just one thing that you notice you do all the time and, hey, I'm going to try and fix, I'm going to try and work on and recognise that. And even if I only just observe it for a little bit to try and get a sense of when it happens and why, that's fine. Observing is, all, you know, is good. And then I can see, well, maybe I'll try this instead or maybe I'll try that instead. Yeah, I think all or nothing is, you know, we need to remain flexible. 
psychologically, physically, we need to remain flexible, but flexible within, you know, flexible within a certain, we can't be all one way or all the other. We've got to be, you know, moving flexibly within that. Because the danger of saying, as of today, I am not a self-sabotager, is that if in a week you spot yourself self-sabotaging, then that whole identity disappears and you go, oh, mm. I am a self-sabotager again. So you mm. you give up trying on any of it. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I'm the type of person who yes. tries to or attempts to da-da-da-da-da rather than yeah. I'm, I am a non-self-sabotager or whatever you want to call yourself. <laughs> and there will be bits to address that are quite easy and bits to address mm. that are really, really hard. Yeah, and the whole idea of identifying um, identifying the needs that are underneath that self-sabotaging behaviour, they might not be easy to spot. Yes. You might have to really think about it a lot and discover what it is. Well, there might be multiples. <laughs> I was just going to say, there might be multiple yeah. needs. You might think, okay, I, I know that, but why am I still not making progress? And it's because there's more to it. Exactly. Yeah, there's other things underlying that. Um, and I do often <clears throat> talk about journaling. I know some people, I've, I've, I've had quite a number of clients who said they, they can't journal due to things that have happened in the past with people reading and finding their diaries and, and that sort of stuff. So journaling can be a bit, a bit difficult for some people. But, you know, maybe just writing it down and throwing it away is enough. I'm not sure. But something that allows you to kind of get it out of your mind and onto the paper can help you process what's you know, what's happening. It doesn't need to be saved. It doesn't need to be shown to anyone. Um, but that can that can work really well. And also, I would imagine writing something down and then tearing it up is quite a good exercise for a hoarder to do anyway. Well, yes, <laughs> being able to let go of that piece of paper. Let's, uh, everyone, that's your homework. Uh, I'm setting homework now. Yes. <laughs> Report Write something back. down and throw it out. Report yeah. back. Mm. I mean, it's worth trying Definitely. because I would think if I write something down, that's added value to the piece of paper, I would hope. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I would, yeah, I, I might try and do that myself because See what happens. <laughs> even if it's just like a shopping list or something, um, because I think something you've written I'm thinking of, oh, what's it called? I did an episode on it a few weeks ago about when you get hold of something, you think it's yours. Endowment, there we are. Oh, uh, endowment effect, yeah. Yeah, so I'm thinking mm. the endowment effect would, would apply. Mm. Plus. Or the IKEA effect as well, I guess. You know, yes, you've added value exactly. to it somehow by that, ex, you know, the actual exercise of writing on it. Completely. Yeah. And it might contain something important. What if what if my thoughts about this are valid in five years and I can't remember what they were? And mm. Okay, every listener, you need to write something on a piece of paper and throw it out and tell me whether you're freaking out at the prospect as much as I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's your homework, everyone. I didn't know I would freak out about that, but I kind no, of No, there you but, go. But that means I have to do it without question. Mm, now, now, you, now you've got to try it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. <laughs> so in terms of what we can do about self-sabotage, I'm kind of getting the impression that it's like a mixture of, it's kind of drawing on all the tools and techniques you've got, depending on what the underlying reason for the self-sabotage is. Is it a procrastination thing? Is it a not being able to form a habit thing? Is it a control thing? Is it a fear of the future thing? So mm. I'm guessing, yeah, addressing it depends somewhat on on what's going on. Exactly. And, you know, that whole thing around clarifying your values, verbalizing them, try and turn them into a statement and put them around so that you see them multiple times a day, so that you're reminded of the direction that you're working towards. It's not always going to work. You'll do things, you'll say, oh, I've read that, but I, I but that's not yeah. happening today. I'm doing this. And that's, that's fine. But you made the choice. You checked in with it and you still made the choice. No, I'm happy with this choice and that's fine. Um, again, we talked earlier, understanding the needs that it fills. Um, you know, it might be loneliness because you want to interact with the shop staff at the op shop or whatever. Things like I, I was thinking about some of the needs that might be underlying some things with, with respect to hoarding. Mm. What about finding unique objects? Does that make you feel successful? What else can you do to make yourself feel that same success? Um, does obsessing over recycling and reusing items make you feel mor morally superior to others? Um, does finding and keeping obscure items make you feel special? I know some people who say that, oh, I've got every, you know, I've got every size nut and bolt, you know, and I feel like that's really, you know, that makes me a, a, an individual. But then we need to, as we said earlier, like you're, you're talking about how you need to pretty much use all your tools in your toolbox, find the behaviours that fill that need. And often identifying the underlying need is enough of a trigger for us to come up with some ideas on what we might substitute yeah. the behaviour for. And maybe even ask other people uh, like you what they do instead. You know, I don't know, maybe some people, um, if you work in a really stressful workplace and you want to find out what other people do. Yeah, I think asking other people, you don't have to say, I'm a hoarder and I don't know how to do this. You could just say, how do you deal with sorting your recycling or what do you mm. do if, you know, whatever the question is. Most people, like, we're having in the UK massive energy bill increases. Oh, and yes. so, um So there's a lot of stuff going around about, like, how much energy it takes to boil the kettle, how much energy it takes to run the washing machine. Oh. And so there was, I saw one of these the other day and, put something on Facebook that had 
different amounts. And it turns out that ironing uses quite a lot of electricity. And so I put and make boiling the kettle doesn't use much. So I said something like, okay, lots of cups of tea and no ironing. That works for me kind of thing. Mm. <laughs> and, um, and I, I wasn't saying I am a hoarder, so I don't iron. I was just making a joke about how <laughs> ironing is tedious. And people were commenting saying, God, yeah, I haven't ironed anything for 10 years or, and yeah. I think you can, you can bring things up without, without having to confess everything and say, I hoard and I don't know how to do this. You can just say, exactly. does anyone have any tips for whatever it is? And people don't leap to the conclusion that you hoard. No, that's the, yeah, your fear leaping forward before, <laughs> because really people don't think that way. They kind of go, oh yeah, that's a good point. And I love the fact that ironing uses a lot of energy because I have not ironed either for probably 10 years. Yeah. My husband does his own ironing and he hasn't been into the office more than one day in a blue moon for two years. So we've probably saved some money there. But exactly what, you know, what do you do? How do you go about recycling old tech wastes or books or what? I want some ideas. Um, and that was one of the things that, you know, I think we can do to kind of flip the script a little bit. We spend all this time kind of anguishing over how we're going to, oh, what am I going to do with this recycling and where is it going to go and da, da, da. Spend that time researching uh, ways that you can, you know, work out ways that you can reduce the amount of recycling that's actually coming into the home. You know, research some of those things, change that up, um, and also create a list of companies that do all these different recycling stuff, you know, recycling textiles, old waste, books, and make sure you note all the exclusions or requirements so that there's no question. You don't have to rush off and get on the computer and be searching. You know that information. And keep that comprehensive list somewhere where it can't get lost so that you know what you are going to do with those objects. Last uh, couple of weeks ago, a client had been saving a lot of metal metal tins and all that sort of stuff, thinking that, you know, she might be able to take it to, you know, a, a metal dealer. And one Google, quick Google on my phone to find out how much it was worth. And it would have cost her more in petrol to go and drop the stuff off than she would actually make immediately in the recycling. And I was just so proud of that because I thought, no, yeah. she has gone through the process. She has asked me to look it up. I've looked it up. I've told her she's made a decision and it was like, right, it's going. Yeah. That's a relief. It's gone. <laughs> and if you Google, I'm sure there's a dedicated website, but I can't immediately find it. But if you just Google, can it be recycled? Mm. There are hundreds of thousands of websites telling you. Exactly. Exactly. It's there. It's just a matter of thinking about how can I find that information out? And if you do need to ask someone, ask someone. You don't need to reveal your soul and say, yeah. I've got a thousand, you know, um, I don't know, a thousand coffee can lids and I need to get, you know, them recycled. You just, you just ask, uh, how do you go about doing X, Y, Z? I think that's really a really good way to go. And it is reassuring that Plenty of people ask these questions and they're not all hoarders. Plenty of people go, I, I've been sorting out the spare room and I have so many books I want to get rid of. Does anyone know a charity looking for books at the moment? You know, it's exactly. 
Exactly. And everyone's doing everyone's doing the same thing on a you know on on a different scale, yeah. On a spectrum, you know, we might be we might be doing less in volume, but we're still dealing with the same emotions, the same, you know, anthropomorphizing of objects, the same, you know, what if I need it? We're all doing we're all pretty much in the same soup, you know. Yeah, I saw someone recently ask, again, I think it was on Facebook, her kids just finished his first year at school. And she said, like, what do I do with all these paintings? Like, Mm. I feel like a terrible person if I throw them away. But but this is just one year's worth. And (laughs) I, I can't cope. And people, you know, were... There were people saying it is fine to throw them away. Don't feel bad. Mm. Keep your favorites, and you know. Mm. But other people were saying things like use it as wrapping paper, you know, for birthday presents. And um, there's all kinds. So, and yeah, and I've no exactly. reason to believe that she's a hoarder. She's just having a very common dilemma that parents have when their kids do endless splodges of blue on a piece of paper for for fifty two weeks. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and the and the other thing about kids is I was just talking with someone about this the other day. You know, the kids they find it very hard to let go of things that they've created. Really, really hard. There's a certain period of their lives where this is all, you know, this is the best they've ever done and it's like I want to keep that. Now, once you get it doesn't take long for them to start, you know, after that 12 11, 12 sort of age group. And then they're like, oh, for God's sake, mum, why did you keep that? <laughs> you still got that? Yeah. Why? It's like, okay, but back way back when you really wanted those things. <laughs> I just think one of the things, um, and that's great getting all those, like using it for wrapping paper or giving it as gifts to the family for Christmas or whatever, all that stuff. There's another thing you can do, which is actually like take create like a piece of artwork that, you know, you cut out particular sizes out of each picture and then create, yeah. or you can shrink it down and make them minute and have like a collage of all of them. There's so many things you can do. Takes time though. I have a, a very crafty friend who kept, initially kept lots of bits of her kid's clothing, like his first, you know, baby bodysuit thing, his first mm. And realized it wasn't practical and so turned it into a quilt. And each piece of the quilt was like a significant piece of clothing, which is a beautiful thing to do. But making it took her like three years. And so it turned it for her, it was absolutely the perfect thing to do. But if you have hoarding tendencies, you've got to be realistic about time scales that you might mm. want to keep everything with a view to turning it into a quilt but turning things into a quilt is a huge job yep you've got to plan it all out you've got to not you know i mean it's it's not and and often people say they want to make a quilt and i say have you ever made a quilt before no yeah and if you haven't made a quilt before would you dare to cut up your kids most significant christening gown or or whatever are you going to do that when you don't know what to do so you'd never make a start yeah and then you know i'd know maybe moths get into it or you know and then it's this whole ah oh, getting down on yourself because oh god i kept it and i wasn't able to do that thing even though 
the odds were against you actually doing that thing if yeah. you thought it yeah. through at the time. So it's like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, really. Keeping it is really going to mean that chances are it gets ruined, then you're going to be down and depressed that all of those things got ruined. Which then becomes further proof that you're rubbish and you can't dehoard. Exactly. Exactly. It's just this loop and it just goes around and around and around. I think thinking like with self-sabotage, thinking about those obstacles that might crop up as well. Like we talked, I think we talked about whoop, wish outcome, obstacle plan. Like that's really important. You know, think about all of the things and people that might get in your way of living how you want to live um, and reaching your goals. Plan for those hard times when you're sick and you haven't got the energy or when you're too stressed out to find the friend line number or whatever it is that you've decided you're going to do to reduce um, your anxiety. Have solid contingency plans. What am I going to do when I have no energy? What am I going to do when I feel like I really am on fire and I want to do heaps? Because that, that will give you this, you know, that whole celebration. I did it. I did something. I either did something full-on amazing or I did what I said I would do, which I think we talked a lot about. But, yeah, yeah. and improving your distress tolerance is always good. You know, stretch that window of tolerance just in a small way often, you know, micro habits or movements and build on those. Today it might be like one out of eight can in the pantry. Next time, tomorrow, it might be two cans or it might continue to be one can for the next month. But one can is one can and it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is hard for people to see. People want to see big results quickly. You do because that keeps you motivated. And if you don't Mm. see big results, when I was doing CBT and I reported back one week that I'd got rid of, it was loads of bags and she said, like, quite hopefully, and can you see a difference? And I was like, less than you might think, to be honest. And it was, <laughs> for the number of bags that had gone, it was a bit disheartening that, like, you think that many bags should make a real dent, and it hasn't. And, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's so, uh, it is so interesting how our brains kind of very, very quickly come back to kind of like an almost equilibrium of oh this looks exactly as it did before probably doesn't probably doesn't but you know um and that's another thing you're getting overwhelmed like oh my god this is a much bigger job than I ever thought and those kind of thoughts really pull (laughs) pull you back down don't they I mean you want to be on that high and you want to be motivated but um, motivation's fickle. It, <laughs> it doesn't last. Yeah. It does not last. It could be helpful um, at kind of getting you going, but yes, just can't rely on it being there daily. No, no. The daily, the habits that you just do. Yeah. Ah, oh, by the way, I've added some more things to my habits. I'm very, <gasps> very happy to say. Lunges. No, not lunges. I oh, No, I take that back. Squats, not lunges, because lunges are not good for my knees. So squats, uh, leg lifts, and continuing to do crunches and stretching, as well as flossing and what was the other thing? Mm, something else. Can't remember the other one. Something that has become so normalized that you don't even notice it anymore. Making my bed. Yeah, I don't even notice it now. I don't even notice it. I can't even stop myself from doing it now. 
And so for listeners who haven't listened to the Creating Habits <laughs> and the Tiny Habits um, and Micro Movements episodes, I will link to them in the show notes because that's where this conversation started. And Jan did a lot of research for that episode and got inspired in her own life as well as yeah, and it just shows because that so was inspiring. a few months ago, wasn't it? And you've stuck with it. It was. Including through COVID. And, um, oh, and I, I, I actually had COVID. Yeah. <laughs> and I kept going. So I think it's like something like um, eight or ten weeks now wow. I've been doing it. I can go right back. Oh, May I started. Wow. And it's September now. Yep. May I started. 9th of May was my first day and I've got all crosses. I'm so proud of myself. You should be. But, you know, once I got started, now I can't now I can't stop. <laughs> Not that I want to or anything. Yeah. I just mean I kind of feel like, you know, I I I I do kind of go, "Oh, Blair's come up to bed. That means I'll have to find an alternative. What's my alternative? Where am I going to do these sit-ups and stuff? Because I was doing it on the bed. Well, he's yeah. in the bed, so I can't yeah. do that. So having that, obs- you know, the obstacle pops up where he wants to have an early night. What am I going to do? I'll do it in the walk-in robe. That's where I do it then. Uh-huh. And I've got my watch on and, uh, you know. I thought you were going to say having that obstinate streak. <laughs> 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 well, <laughs> you know, I, because I am convinced that a good part of why I successfully quit smoking was because I'm really stubborn. I'm yes. convinced that's part of it, that I just was like, yeah, no, I've said I'm going to do once this. It so. took, once it takes hold, yeah, it's got to take hold, though. Once it takes hold, then you're, you know, you're at the mercy of the habit. It just takes yeah. you. But it's, it's, it's making sure that it's, you know, the right kind of anchor that you attach it to and then whatever that behaviour might be is small enough, you know, and then the celebration helps. I don't, I don't worry so much about it now, but I still think to myself, ticked another box you know I still I still think that which is probably enough for me because I'm that much of a diary nerd that yeah having that record that I've done it from see I could just flick back in my diary in my habit tracker and say it was the 9th of May that I began so you know look I am the (laughs) I'm the least likely person Seriously, I'm the least likely. <laughs> I have been trying, attempting this. I'm 50. I have been attempting this for most of my yeah. adult life. I swear to God. Yeah. So I just feel like if I can do it, yeah, anyone can do it. Yeah. Yeah, without question. So same with self sabotage. So you can change. You know, you can change that too. Start by recognizing it. Start by seeing, you know, just just seeing when it happens, why it happens. Just being curious. Yeah. Is there a pattern? Is there a mm. common feeling or a common thought or a common even space in your house? Is there one particular room that you, you know? Um, mm. And ask those questions. Don't don't stay with the nope. When you hear no nope from your own brain. Yeah, I love that. What nope? Which nope is it? Is it the <laughs> is it the overwhelm nope? Yeah. Is it the not today nope? Is it the you know 
energy nope yeah i agree i think that's wonderful and that is what it is labeling that and recognizing what that is is hey that is a tick in the box from my perspective because then you 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 know what you're dealing with completely it never occurred to me to ask myself further questions once i got the nope i just thought that was the full stop at the end of the sentence (laughs) like that you know that's my answer to trying to do this today and when I, when the CBT therapist first would ask me, I was a bit resistant to even the idea that there was anything beyond it. I just thought it was yeah. an automatic. But once she would push gently and, and there was, there was something beyond the nope. And that was what helped me to address it was understanding what that was. It's exactly what you're saying. If you stop at nope, then it's really hard to get past that because you don't know what you're dealing with. Yep, yep. But if you know that it's an overwhelmed nope, if you know that it's a, this stuff is too nostalgic and I can't cope with the memories nope, you know, whatever it is, then you're in a much better position to stop sabotaging any progress you could make. Totally agree. Brilliant. Brilliant. So if people want to find you online, where can they do so? Uh, you can come and have a look at my website, stuffology.com.au. You could hook up with me on Twitter at stuff underscore ology or Instagram at stuff underscore ology. Maybe Facebook if you, if you feel like going down that path. Uh, I think I'm stuffology consulting. Yeah, and drop me a line if you feel really, really compelled. Jan at stuffology.com.au. And do on her website sign up to her email list, which sent its historic 100th message yesterday. It's a huge congrats on that, Um, (laughs) which is just always, always worth reading. And I will link to all of that in the show notes at Overcome Compulsive Hoarding co.uk so if you can't remember them all off the top of your head so jan thank you so useful as always thank you for having me yet again in just one second i'll give you my top tip of the week in the meantime please do subscribe to the podcast review it five stars would be amazing and share it with your friends or anyone who might be interested or who might benefit from it it all really helps to find more ways to support the website, the podcast, and my overall dehoarding project, go to overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash support. Now, back to your top tip. My top tip this week is a quote from Seneca, and I don't know about worldwide, but in the UK, I'm pretty sure that's a brand of laxatives. However, I believe it was also an ancient philosopher as well, so it's more likely to be him. And the quote is, it is not because things are difficult that we don't try them. It is because we don't try them that they are difficult. Just give that some thought this week. All right. Thank you for listening. And I'll speak to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Overcome Compulsive Hoarding podcast. You can find more online at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk. You can find me on Twitter at That Hoarder and on Facebook at Overcome Compulsive Hoarding with That Hoarder. To find out more about how you can support this 
podcast and the overall project, go to overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk forward slash support and do subscribe to this podcast so you make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Getting professional support as a hoarder can make all the difference. Having somebody on your side who can help you to learn about yourself and make progress in your home is invaluable, but finding an affordable therapist can be a nightmare. Accessing therapy online gives you the option to find the right person who doesn't even have to be in the same country as you, never mind the same town or city. OnlineTherapy.com offers a weekly live session with a CBT therapist for individuals or couples. It offers unlimited messaging, worksheets, a journal, and even yoga and meditation videos to help you cope. I have a special link for you that will get you a discount at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash online therapy. As you know, I've had CBT, and two years later, I still use the realizations I had about myself as well as the skills I learned. Listeners tell me that you've started to use some of the skills I've shared on this podcast. CBT is a therapy with a broad evidence base that is widely used for a range of mental health difficulties, including hoarding. OnlineTherapy.com specializes in CBT, and if you're not happy with your therapist, you can change to a new one with the click of a button. And prices start at $40 a week which, if you've seen a therapist before, you'll know is incredibly cost-effective. What's more, if you use my link, you can get a whopping 20% off your first month. So sign up at overcomecompulsivehoarding.co.uk slash online therapy and get 20% off your first month with your new online CBT therapist.